Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Paradigm Podcast. We hope you're having a great week. Before we jump into today's episode, we're going to be talking about part seven from endurance. It's the final part. It's kind of the culmination of the whole entire story. And um, so we want to encourage you to subscribe to the channel, hit the little bell next to the subscription, like the video, drop a comment down in the comment section down below and follow us on all our social media platforms. And all the information will be down in the uh, description box Maybe you're the protagonist in your story, but like there's a million other people. So I'm gonna jump into a little bit of a summary and then we'll jump into some key takeaways and some questions for you guys. So part seven begins with the men shaking hands because it seemed like the thing to do. Makes sense after surviving the journey they had and actually making a landing on the island of South Georgia. The men had hardly been on land when they learned that the surf was more violent than they desired. The waves were smashing the carrot against the rocks and Shackleton knew that they had to remove the boat from the water. However, the crew was in no shape to do it. The crew formed a line, removing the contents of the boat in an effort to lighten her, but to no avail. Shackleton made the call to tie her bow to the boulder, to a boulder, while the crew got some rest. On the first watch was Crean. The rest of the crew slept in a cave that was large enough to fit them all. During Crean's watch, the rope holding the bow of the carriage snapped and Crean caught it in just the nick of time. He hollered for help and by the time the crew made their way there, Crean was in the water almost over his head. The men pulled the boat in and they found that the rudder was lost to the violent surf. The crew knew that this meant the carrot was severely damaged and wouldn't fare well in the sea. Shackleton and Worsley over the next two days surveyed their area looking for a pass through the diameter of the island. They found it impassable and despite the damage done to the carrot, they made the call to sail six miles to the head of King Hakon Bay. On the dawn of May 15th, the carrot was shoved into the water and they were in the ocean by 8 a.m. At noon, the carrot rounded a high bluff to the side of a gentle sloping beach of pebbles and sand with enough sea elephants to store them indefinitely. And by 1230, they made a landing. They sheltered there for three days. And on the morning of May 18th, the crew making the journey on foot was set to leave with a diary entry left with McNeish leaving him in charge. Shackleton, Worsley, and Crean set off to Husvik. At 310 a.m., the final journey had begun. They came upon a series of ridge lines described as similar to the knuckles of a clenched fist. They summited the first one to the side of a precipice and sheer cliffs. They had to descend and circumvent the first ridge to get to the next. Once they summited the second ridge, they weren't comforted by, by gentle slopes. Instead, it had the same as the first, precipice and sheer cliffs. They descended and circum circumvented the second ridge to get to the third. Upon their summiting of the third ridge, topography had changed slightly. There was a chance to make their way down the backside of the ridge crest. From the west and below the fog was beginning to form, uh, excuse me, from the west and below, fog was beginning to form and advance on them rapidly and nightfall was coming just as fast. The three man crew knew they had to descend quickly because they would freeze to death at altitude of 4,500 feet. They began their descent by cutting steps into, with a makeshift ax at a slow pace and Shackleton knew they wouldn't make it in it to safe elevation in time and made the call to slide. Reluctantly, Worsley and Crean formed a chain with Shackleton and slid down the steep slope. They screamed as they slid and came to a slower speed moments later as the topography began to level off. Once they stopped, the men had to laugh as someone who, was, who took a huge risk and pulled it off perfectly. They got up and continued walking into the night following the moon's light. 
They continued and began to see the water again, but quickly learned they were encroaching on Fortuna Bay, which was west of their destination. They quickly retreated and proceeded east. At 6 a.m., Worsley and Crean began breakfast, and Shackleton went ahead to scout the land. He heard a noise that sounded like a whistle. It reminded him of the morning whistle waking up the whaling station from work, and he knew there were two whistles, one at 6.30 a.m. and another at 7 a.m. He excitedly ran back to the men and told them the news. To verify Shackleton's observation, Worsley took out his chronometer and saw seven was quickly approaching. The men became silent as possible as the second the, second the time hit 7 a.m., another whistle rang out. They were so close, and the men proudly shook hands. Uncharacteristic of Shackleton, he began to trudge ahead with a sense of urgency that muted his sense of danger. They came upon a crevice that was extremely steep, and Shackleton went over the edge and the other men followed. Once their descent was complete from the crevice, they came upon a bowl-like setting. If they fell, there would be nothing to hold on to to stop their fall. Caution returned to Shackleton and they circumvented the top of the bowl and found a ravine. As they walked down, the ravine walls became steeper and there was a stream in it now becoming deeper. Their path ended at a waterfall, but it was their only way out. They removed their jackets and filled them with their supplies and threw them down. They individually, um, the, then individually, the men made their way down using a boulder to tie their rope to. Crean was first, Shackleton was next, and finally Worsley. They made it to the bottom of the waterfall and were at most a mile away from Stromness Whaling Station. The men arrived at the dock of Stromness Whaling Station at 4 p.m. to the utter surprise of the population there. They approached a man named Matthias Anderson, who spoke with Shackleton. Shackleton asked for Anton Anderson, who was no longer on the island. Matthias then said, he was replaced by a man named Sorle. Matthias then took the three-man crew to Sorle's quarters as the population accumulated to see these random men who came from the interior of the island. They knocked on Sorle's door and were greeted with, who the hell are you? Shackleton stepped up and said, my name is Shackleton. Some say Sorle turned away and wept. That night, the men had hearty dinners, took long baths, shaved, and were given new clothes. Worsley boarded the whale catcher boat, Samson, that would be used for the trip around South Georgia to Pagodi Camp, where McNeish, McCarthy, and Vincent were taken aboard. At first, they didn't even recognize Worsley because of how drastically his appearance had changed. The carriage was taken aboard the Samson as well. The Samson returned to Stromness the following day, May 22nd. Shackleton, meanwhile, arranged for the use of a large wooden whaler, the Southern Sky, to return to Elephant Island for the relief of the party there. On the morning of May 23rd, Shackleton, Worsley, and Crean set up for Elephant Island, but had to return to port less than a week later. He then was loaned a boat from the Uruguayan go government named Instituto de Pesca No. 1 for their second attempt to rescue the remaining crew. They were forced to return to port six days later, the boat severely damaged by the ice. They made a third attempt in a wooden schooner titled the Emma, and they were at sea for nearly three weeks, most of which was a struggle to even keep the boat afloat. They never got closer than 100 miles to Elephant Island. He then appealed to the Chilean government for the use of a steel-hulled boat, uh, boat titled the Yelcho, and they set sail on August 25th, and this time, fate prevailed. August 30th, at 1.10 p.m., they caught sight of a camp the camp remaining on Elephant Island. The crew of Elephant Island monotonously each day would individually walk up to a bluff and look for the boats. Not out of hope, but out of habit. On August 30th, Marston opted out of lunch and went up to the bluff, and a few minutes later, the crew heard his hurried footsteps, but no one paid much attention. He put his head inside the shelter and spoke with Wild, and Wild casually said, hadn't we send up some smoke signals? 
Orderlies writes in his journal, before there was even time for a reply, there was a rush of members tumbling over one another, all mixed up with mugs and hoosh, making a simultaneous dive for the door hole, which was immediately torn to shreds. Some put their boots on, others didn't bother. And sure enough, there was a small ship a mile offshore. Macklin hoisted Black Bro up onto his shoulders so even he could see and be a part of this moment. Excitement was permeated throughout the Elephant Island crew that you could hear them giggling. By 2 10 p.m. on August 30th, all men were aboard the Yelcho and on their way back to Stormness Whaling Station. So that wraps up endurance. Everybody was brought on board. Nobody had passed away. And we are, they're all safe. They're back at Stormness Whaling Station. So I'm going to pivot us into some key takeaways and questions. So Hey, I, before we start, I just want to touch on one thing because your summary, it just doesn't show, I think, the magnitude of what they did. And I really just want to give like... Yeah, just, go for it. If anyone's listening. Yeah, some addition. Prior to this, no one had ever traversed South Georgia via, line, via land because it was well known that it was impossible, mm -hmm. Okay. Shackleton with homemade cleats that they made from getting screws from the boat. So in a carpenter saw and three dudes in some rope, they took no gear with them because he was like, we need to do it all in one day or we'll die. Mm -hmm. Like that was no literally tense. his mindset. Yeah. Now in, I think in 2010, since Shackleton, only two teams have traversed the Island via land. Yeah. And they say, um, um, they did it with like they did it leisurely and and for exploration so they were taking their time they weren't worried about freezing because they had all the gear they needed mm -hmm. and they said in their journey there's only two ways to traverse the island a high ground and a low ground the high ground is like significantly easier the low ground the low trail is considered almost impossible shackleton and his men took the hardest route possible with fucking no gear they've yeah. been out for 16 months just had an impossible sea journey and they go, we're going to go do the impossible again. Yeah. So when they got to this whaling station, yeah. the people there were like, not only did you just go through the Drake Passage in like a rowboat, which is the <laughs> hardest part, which is the hardest part of the sea in the world, you traversed an impossible island with fucking <laughs> yeah. homemade cleats and a carpenter saw. Who are you guys? Yeah. Ernest Shackleton, that dude. Like everyone was like, dude what you guys are insane <laughs> yeah. and they're the only people in the world because like they're very niche knowing of that like arctic world yeah the, those people that were there were the only people that could fully like understand yeah. and and fully understand the accomplishments of what they truly just did because right. they're familiar with the area you know sea and land yeah so i just want the readers the listeners to know like what they did was absolutely insane right um next level yeah. man yeah i think it was kind of cool like that they didn't not that they shouldn't receive uh, accolades or like trophies or like a medal or something but the men knew that were on the way that were at the whaling station like you guys are like superhumans you guys are superheroes to us you know what i mean like they didn't need they just want shackleton and his men just wanted to get back to elephant island and save everybody but everybody there was like i just want to shake your hand you know, I just want to, who are you guys? Like John right. said, like, who are you guys? Right. You know what I mean? Like, that's, it's nuts. Yeah, man, I think that's, it was really wild. I, I was kind of, when I finished chapter three, I was like, where's the ending? You know what I mean? Yeah. And then it, it kind of summed it up real fast in the epilogue, which is so interesting because Alfred Lansing wrote in such detail 
part one, part two, all the way to part six. We get to part seven. It's like he wrapped it up real Super quick. Fast, yeah. And he had to do an epilogue to really complete the story, right? I mean, you had loose ends. You had to tie it up, but he did it in such a quick manner. Um, it was uncharacteristic. Yeah. I thought. Also, him at the end of the epilogue, I like how he doubled back around and talked about the how long it took for them to get the ship. And oh, why, yeah. when we be, in our pre- previous episode, we were talking about why it took so long. Yeah. And then he didn't mention that until the very end of the epilogue. Right, right. And I was like, okay, cool. I, I do wish it would have went into a little bit more detail, but obviously, like, the book is about the endurance and what they endured right. and not, like, about their personal lives. The saving part. So it is, I, I can, I appreciate their, the rapidness of completing the book, but at yeah. the same time, I would like to have some more information. <laughs> like, what did mm-hmm. they do after? You know what I mean? Like, what was right. their lives like? Yeah. I am. Anything from this part that stood out to you, Dave? Yeah. Um, there's a part that I highlighted and, uh, well, I guess we'll talk into it in a little bit later. You bring it up if you want. Yeah, I'll bring it up. Basically there's a part in the book where there's, it's mentioned that through, you know, the, the journey that they did, even though they had failed their initial objective, they all left with something. Well, they all left with, like the feeling that they had accomplished way more than they ever thought that they could. Um, and I thought that was very interesting to me because I, I think it's just applicable to life. And sometimes there's things that we go through, we set out to do, then we end up failing at that thing or we don't accomplish what we uh, wanted to do. And sometimes we hit like rock bottom, you fall hard. And that the, on just on that note, you know, coming out of that or trying your best to do better for yourself in those situations, you can find out that you're, you're capable of way more and sometimes even than possible. Mm. Um, and so that was my favorite part. That part's on page 342. Um, yeah, yeah. I think it was, I think it was a dope one. All right. I'm going to pivot us into some key takeaways and questions. All right. So, uh, it's an open question to anybody. Um, so what do you guys think people should take away from this book? Uh, my biggest takeaway is the challenge of any obstacle in life. Um, don't look at experience as bad or good. Um, look at his experience as look at the distance, look how far you traveled, um, reflect upon your mishaps, your mistakes, the successes as well. Don't just take success for granted. Um, always do some sort of reflection, but obviously in this book, they couldn't really reflect that much when it's life or death, you know, and they got to move fast and they can't really think about too much. Um, but in general, in our, in our lives, um, we can move at a very fast pace. We can move like we hear that ticking time clock in our head. Like what, what's next move? What's the next move? What's the next strategy thing that we got to move forward with? Um, always reflect on your bad things. Always reflect on the good things. Um, don't take things as, um, final or, uh, failure, um, take your losses and move with a, just a, like a, a more calloused mind, you know what right. I mean? Move the, like you, you're a little bit more tougher now cause you failed. Um, and you know what to avoid, um, and what to kind of move closer to. Okay. Um, so I think that's the biggest takeaway. Obviously it's a very general vague, um, I guess idea, but that's one big thing that I took from this book is don't look at how, how bad things are. Okay. Learn from what you're going through and then keep moving in the direction you need to go to. So is there one instance in the book that really set that for you? Um, definitely when they were traveling on the rowboat, uh, uh, Shackleton and... Um, that six-man crew? Yeah, the six-man crew headed... To, like that That part was pretty nuts to me. Um, after already 
traveling so far and not knowing how how long this this destination how long it's going to take them to get to island it's sort of like impeccable how how much grit and determination they had just those six men and they had other men on the island that were still trapped and stranded obviously it would have been more nice to be on the island but all the men were just like we're done we just we need we need to get out of this um and the grit and determination to continue forward, even all the bad stuff they went through. Yeah. You know what I mean? But they set out for an expedition. You know what I mean? That, they so they, they signed up for it. So <laughs> they, got it. They, got, they got one, they definitely. definitely so. got it. All right. How about you guys? Go ahead, John. Yeah. Um, I think like a, a big key takeaway would be in leadership. Throughout the whole entire book, Shacklin was very clear with his communication. Like, even with the hard news, you know, he was very pragmatic. He was like, hey, look, this is a situation. I'm going to do X. And everyone was able to get on board every time because he was just being very clear with it, you know? Okay. Um, And because of good leadership, clear communication, and endurance, these men were able to accomplish crazy things, you know, things thought of as impossible. Yeah, um, with a little bit of luck too. Which oh, yeah. that goes to your side. Sometimes if you keep going, you'll end up getting lucky. Sometimes, so yeah. take that with how you want to. Okay, yeah. that's a good one. Definitely. All right. What's his name? Says uh, uh, Kevin Samuels. Kevin Samuels. He says, "The harder you work, the more lucky you get. Mm. The more lucky you become." So it's like if you're not working, that means you're probably not going to be so lucky. Lucky in the future. How do you get? Yeah, I mean, like the, the more times you try something, I mean, you know, it's like. Just it's got to go my way this time, yeah, right? You know, exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. and that's a great mentality to have too. All right, how about you, David? Um, man, there's so much to pull from this book. Uh, geez, like just the fact that you know, I guess the overwhelming big one is that you can't like the book's called Endurance, right? And it's just them about enduring this like perilous journey and going through so much in what was it? Uh, it was over a year, yeah. They yeah. Were, yeah, yeah. Um, they, the men, yeah, the, the men learned something about themselves, what really mattered to them, what, what like, you know, personal belong belongings they wanted, but they could live without, mm-hmm. um, you know, finding a sense of community with just them, uh, balancing, you know, leadership, working together, looking at literal death in the face and persevering, going through it, um, and overcoming what they thought was impossible. Um, so man, I, I don't know. There's just, there's a lot to take away from this book, but I would just say just keeping, keeping well under pressure and working hard and, uh, in turn straight up. Yeah. Like the impossible because yeah. this, this shouldn't like, man, the, the, yeah, it's like John said, this until you read this book, you won't <laughs> really understand like maybe the full detail of what they're going through and how, you know, that everybody who looked when they got back to the island, that those guys were like, how did they even do this? You know, how did Shackleton lead them and get to eventually save everybody and lead them all to safety? It's like, yeah, it's mind blowing. And we're, we're, I mean, yeah, the whole world for real thought they were dead. You know, like like, when that, when that captain at the whaling station found out Shackleton, he cried because he was like, Oh, I thought you guys died. It's been six, eight months. Yeah. Yeah. No one's heard from you. Yeah, exactly. Um, That's like when he said that the the captain wept, it's almost like, dang, like, bro, there was, would they have sent a crew looking for them or did, do they just conclude like they're gone? Like they're not like, that's crazy. Right. They're just, yeah, they died. Like, uh, 
So, hmm. key takeaway that I think people should get from this book. You know, I think I'm going to combine what you guys said. Like, John, I think what you said is really good because in order for a voyage like that to occur, there has to be some sense of leadership and good leadership comes with great communication. And Shackleton, while he had people's signatures on contracts, people, you know, while signing something is one thing, but when you're in negative degree weather, snow, ice pack, you have nothing to do. Um, we saw it, orderlies acted up, um, but really, Shackleton was really clear with his communication. He's like, this is what it is. If you leave us you're I mean, you're going to kind of just die. You know, like you need to understand that <laughs> this is what you got going on right now. So you will uh, die. Because yeah. I mean, you're in Antarctica, you know, there's nowhere else to go. Yeah, so you're going to go <laughs> step in line, you know? And so, you know, great communication is a big one. Um, building community, like, like David said, was really big. You see it when they're on the endurance on the Ritz, this community is being built. And um, because of that, I think it made things a little bit easier in terms of taking orders, performing your task, because you know that if I don't do it, then the whole community as a whole kind of takes its hit. And so community was a really big part of this book. Um, and just like the title, endurance, right? I mean, I don't know anybody that's gone to Antarctica, I know people that have gone through some pretty hard stuff and they've had to endure some really hard stuff. So I would say, what should people take away from this book? Communication, clear communication, uh, even in conf conflict, um, how to endure uh, really drastic circumstances and how to build community in, in those circumstances. And even before getting into those circumstances would be mine. Yeah. yeah good. All right, so um, secondly, what leadership qualities do you think people should recognize in endurance from any of the crew? Hmm. Let's see. Leadership. Go ahead, John. I feel like John's got one. <laughs> I was just gonna say, well, we kind like we kind of touched on that kind of hard between you and I. Okay. Yeah. Um, if David and Devin want to add anything. You guys feel free to, but like, I mean, I, I think the biggest thing for me I saw was the clear communication. I like that yeah. one a lot. I'll, I'll stick to it. Okay. Yeah. And that encompasses, you know, like the admitting or the, I guess the pragmatic view, like we, we tried something, we failed, you know, yep. Shackleton was honest about that. He led his team well in that manner. Mm -hmm. um, I, I would say too, aside from leadership, because I think we can take away from this book that it's, it's highlighting leadership from Shackleton, but if someone's reading it, maybe they could see this. And I don't know if you, about you guys, but I was imagining myself in this situation on this boat. Like, how could I help and be a team player under a leader or just do my part? And I think it's, I think it, uh, yeah, I just, that's it. That, that's the, interdependence. Yeah. That's the, interdependence. The inter, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, Shacklin had to delegate a lot of work, all, like all the work because he's like, you guys do this, you guys do this, you guys do this. And one real, not to get too political or whatever. But yeah. I think in this whole woke culture, it's hard for people to make decisions and delegate without it being like some sort of like, it's got to be racial equality or, or, yeah. or something. Because like, Shaglin's like, hey, you, 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 you're the best at this, go do this. Mm -hmm. You know? Right. Worsley, come here, you're the best navigational person, you're obviously going to do that. You know? Right. Yeah. That's just the best way we can excel as a team. 
you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Shackleton too. I, he, the whole time, you know, he was, he was very about his team and he was thinking about all of the men there as if like they're an extension of himself. And he kept his word, you know, um, with all of his men, like that one, I forget, I can't remember his name, but he was like, you're going to be the first one to set foot on the Island. And he, oh, bro. he, yeah. st- he was just, he imagine being on the water for that long. And you're like, no, I made a promise to you. You're going to be the first one. I think I thought that was very honorable and yeah. kept his word because every people were like, fuck that. There's land. I'm jumping on that bitch. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can get on if you want, but no, like he's just it's a very honorable things. person. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. I would say my biggest, the, for at least leadership qualities or character, uh, characters maybe uh the decision making like john touched on a little bit um but just the mentality of decision making um when you're a leader you're put in a situation where you can't really discuss yet you'll have a few members that you can really talk to about everything with but even then you're in a mental battle with yourself most of the time because you you are in a battle with am I making the right decision or is this the wrong decision I think a lot of people crumble especially when they're put in a leadership position where they might not have the answer, but they're just going with what they believe is the best. Yeah. And I think if your team is not backed, if they're not behind you, that makes it even harder to make a decision. Mm-hmm. So I think Shackleton's mind, his mentality was is was built for this. You know what I mean? At the beginning of the book, they talked about that a lot. Like Shackleton was already the man to do something like this go and, 100 and, and, yeah. and so anytime he said something the team the, the crew did not question it wasn't like there were a few if you know what i mean questionable especially when they were like walking the flows and the ice and stuff there was a lot of right. decision making there but even shackleton i love the description that uh um lansing. Uh, lansing gives about how he's in this mental battle like throughout the last few chapters and i think that's a big big part of leadership is you you got to be able to deal with those inner battles that you face on a daily or even monthly especially if you're put in that position but um well, go ahead i guess that goes with um you know early in the book one delegation because shackleton wasn't afraid to like lean on other people for the skills that maybe he wasn't the best at like yeah. i think early in the book one guy wrote in the diary he's like for navigation i would lean towards worsley you know for yeah. blah 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 or lean towards this but when my back's against the wall and we're all on our knees praying to God, we pray to Shaq. We pray for Shaq. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Because like he, he had earned, he had earned the respect and like the merit to be like, Hey, trust me. I'm a good leader. I've done this before. Just give me some trust and, and share your abilities with me and we can make it happen. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I think, uh, mine that I'll mention, I think David brought up a really good word. It's pragmatism. Um, John had mentioned that first. Yeah. John mentioned it. Um, it goes hand in hand with Devin's idea of decision making. Uh, George Washington said one of his best, you know, somebody said about George Washington, one of his best qualities in leadership was recognizing situations for what they are, not what you'd wish they'd be. Right. And so I think Shackleton had a good grasp on, on that. He was like, look, we're on, you know, it started at Ocean Camp. We need to get moving. Right. This is what the situation is. My decision is based on that, not what I'd wish it'd be, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that really helped with his decision-making, yeah, right? Exactly. If I know what the situation is without my emotional, I wish this is what it would be, you can make a more logical, a better decision about your plan of action to move forward, right? So I think pragmatism is huge in leadership, right? If I'm trying to lead somebody and I just kind of lead from what I'd wish it'd be. The people that are pragmatic and understand what the real situation is, what really needs to be done, aren't 
they're going to be less likely. They're going to follow what you have to do because you're the leader, but they know that your decisions are going to be clouded by your emotional judgment and what you kind of wish things would be. So another one that I kind of want to, you know, you guys kind of touched on is building a close circle to help you lead, right? Being a leader is one thing, but you have to have people, right? Shackleton had Worsley Mm -hmm. at the end, helped him keep pragmatic, right? He's like, look, what's, what's the reality if we make it to South Georgia Island? And Worsley was like, I'm very good, you know? (laughs) You're on mute, boy. It's because even then, Shackleton's own ego confidence was wearing thin. He's like, I don't got too much left in the bank. Right. You know what I'm saying? I'm taking a loan out of Worsley. Right. We're still good. (laughs) We good, bro? That's a great way to put it. Right? So great leaders have great community around them that's also helping them lead. Right? right? Um, Any business has a great leader and it has operators that ensure that that decision that's made using everybody's ideas is enforced and is, you know, committed and done in a certain um, sequence, right? There's, it's really important to have a good crew around you. And, you know, a lot of this book, a lot of what we're talking about in leadership qualities kind of brings you back to Ray DeLeo's principles, Mm -hmm. right? He talks about how everybody sees something different, right? Somebody may see squares, some people may see circles, some people may see cubes, but you need that to get the full picture, Right. right? So build yourself a nice, good community of people that you trust that know what you're trying to do, the goals you're trying to accomplish, have that be your inner circle in your leadership decisions. So that that would be mine. Um, and the final question being, would you recommend this book to someone? And if so, why? Yes, um, but uh, definitely have a dictionary or some way, Google uh, to look up the terms and um, the, uh, the verbiage that, um, Lansing uses in this book, because it has a lot to do with the boat endurance, Mm -hmm. um, uh, a lot of expedition terms. Um, and so you can get really lost and especially if you're a visual reader, like you like to visualize it. I'm pretty sure everybody likes to visually read. Um, and it just helps. It gives you a visual of what you're reading and how you could see it in your mind. And it helped me. So, um, I definitely wouldn't say it's not like a book, say like, uh, can't hurt me. You're not going to take away like challenges or anything, mm-hmm. but it's definitely a great storybook. It's definitely something to get you, uh, 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 like you can always think back to this book and just remember what men of history did yeah. to accomplish a goal that they set out, set out to do the so, impossible. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Like they uh, shouldn't have done it. <laughs> yeah. How about you guys? Um, See, yeah, I'd, I'd highly recommend this book, um, especially if you're someone who uh, kind of questions yourself a little bit and isn't sure if, you know, you can do a task that you set out for yourself or that may seem quote unquote impossible. Maybe it's not traveling through a huge expedition across Antarctica, but maybe it's, you know, uh, working on your habits, right? Like going to the gym or maybe you want to, uh, eat healthier or overcome addiction or, or something like that. Um, I think this book, you know, cause it's, it's real, this has actually happened. And like we said, it, they had no modern equipment at all. They had the bare minimum and they took, they took the low road. So I think if you can apply this, um, I guess the determination and the endurance to your own life. And I think it would be great for people who are maybe dealing with something or have, have a hard time seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. And this is a great book for that. Mm. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a great book to suggest somebody, uh, 
I think more people should read, you know, not everyone wants to read some sort of like self-development book or whatever. This is just a good book with a good story. I think it's a good book to suggest to men of all ages, really. Um, I think it's cool. So yeah. I would say, I would recommend it. Oh yeah. We should create a petition uh, to get this made into a movie. Right. Yeah. yeah. I know they have a documentary, There's but documentary, it doesn't like yeah. recreate it. No, they need you know? to make something like the Titanic or something. I think yeah. there is something on YouTube. Wait, I, I think they it. did. Yeah. I think it's called uh, the main character is Jack Sparrow. I'm just kidding. No, no, I this was guy. like, what? <laughs> this guy. It's on Disney Plus, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, would I recommend this book to people? Yes, um, it's a great read. If you, like John said, like casual reading, you don't want to sit there and break down each paragraph. Um, you know, like the Bible or some self help book. I think it makes a great book for casual reading because at the end of the night when i you know i read lit scientific literature all day it was kind of cool to just open a book and read a story and just get kind of immersed and end up in antarctica with ernest shackleton and his crew it was like you know it was a great casual read uh, you can you can extract things like leadership qualities um, but it's really just you're seeing a movie in your head Right. So, yeah. you know, like Devin said, pick up a maritime dictionary so you know what the terms are, bow, stern, you know, all that. So you can really visualize it in your head. I think it yeah. was a really good movie in my head. So I would highly recommend you pick up this book. Let us know what you think. Drop that down in the comment section down below. Like the video, subscribe. I want to we want to update you real quick on what's coming up. So coming up soon, the next book we're reading is Beyond Order by Dr. Jordan B. Peterson. Um, this is the flip side of 12 rules for life, right? This is 12 more rules on the flip side. The other book was an antidote to chaos. This one is for people that are typically more in order. I can see that for myself, right? I have a, sub, a schedule that I abide by. I have my life ordered. There can be detrimental effects of being too much in order. So that's what we're gonna get into next. Um, we're really excited for the read. Go pick it up so you can read along with us. We wanna hear everything you have to say down in the comment section on our social media platforms, which is in the description below. Yeah, if you're going, if you're in Fresno and you watch this, if it comes out before then, yeah. drop if you're going to the Fresno uh, event that Jordan Peterson's gonna be at. Um, yeah. Hopefully April. we can get this out before. Uh, this one's gonna be a little April. bit of a spicy one right now yeah. with everything going on <laughs> yeah. with Jordan Peterson. Yeah. Huh? It, it's really cool how we read his first book, Seven Habits, An Antidote to Chaos. Like, yeah. Prior to him being in the news, you know, yeah, with everything going on, right. you know, and then he's going to this. I was like, oh, like I know about this guy. Yeah, I, yeah. I've read his book, and not only that, we're about to read his second book. You right. Know? Yeah. yeah, we need a. We probably need a uh, three hundred and sixty background to um, uh, maps of meaning. That would be. I don't, I don't think it, I don't think it's chronological or anything, but I think that was one of his first books that he written. Yeah, I think that was his yeah. first. Yeah. yeah, it would be that'd be a good another book to read. Kind of circle back on uh, Jordan Peterson. But yeah, we just wanted to update you on what's going on. Thank you so much for watching this episode. We hope you enjoyed Endurance. Thank you, We guys. hope you read along with us, right? Um, so one more time, I'm going to remind you, subscribe to the channel, hit the little bell, like the video, Get this drop book. a comment down below. Follow us on all our social media platforms. All the information will be down in the description below. You hit that little triangle, right? It points down. Burr, 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 burr. <laughs> so before we take off, we want to remind you, what you do today equals who you are tomorrow. Now equals tomorrow.